We've been fighting a long time, and we've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome, everybody, whenever, wherever you are. Coming back at you with Charles Colomb of Vickers of Christ fame. That's the one. We may yes, or may not talk about... No, wait, wait a second. Charles has agreed to talk about every pope since the beginning, his, his pros and cons. So this is going to be about a five, eight-hour eight show. Everybody sit back, get some popcorn, come back later. We'll be on the second one. You're not going to have any life after this. No, no, I, uh, I'm not actually going to do that. For one thing, I don't have the book with me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly we have had some, uh, some uh, what do you call it, high points and low points in the history of the papacy. Some ebbs and uh, flows. Yeah, yeah, well, like everything else in life. I mean, you know, it, it, an institution that has lasted as long as the papacy has, you know, since 33 AD, uh, it's got something going for it. There's a famous old story by uh, Boccaccio in the Decameron about how this uh, this Frenchman had a Jewish friend in Paris. And we're talking about the 1300s, uh, 1200s. Uh, and the Roman court of those days was very corrupt, 1300s, very, very corrupt. So he... Uh, he tried to get his friend to become Catholic every way he knew how. And finally, the friend says, you know what? I'm going to go to Rome. And if your religion is true, I'll learn it there. He goes, oh, no, 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 don't go to Rome. Please, don't go, don't go. And he says, no, 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 I'm going. And he did. Well, the fellow thought, that's it. He's out. He'll never come back. Well, a year and a half goes by. And suddenly, there's his friend of the street. He says, hey, I'm just back from Rome. I converted. Let's go to Mass. And he said, well, all right, sure, but you converted? Yeah, yeah. In Rome, yes. Well, weren't the cardinals terribly corrupt? Oh, disgusting. The papal court? Oh, filth. Sheer filth. Well, why did you convert? Well, I realized that any organization that lasted that long under that kind of leadership had to be divine. <laughs> and the truth is that we have had some, shall we say, discreditable moments. But the papacy also is a bit of a mystery. It's a mystery in the sense that regardless of the virtue or lack thereof of its uh, inmate at any given time, it is the papacy. He is the vicar of Christ, even if he mislays the title somewhere in the pages of a book. 
He can't help himself. And even the worst of them, and there have been some doozies, have played their part in the great picture, even though they very often didn't mean to. Oh, Because, sorry? I was going to say, why don't we start off with the bad ones, we'll end up with the good ones at the end. Well, let's start with the good guy, bad guy. Oh, we're going good first, okay. Well, both. Okay. A good guy, bad guy. You remember those guys in the movies. Oh, yeah. The yeah, fellow yeah. who... Who did Two-faced. did bad and then did, well? Sometimes they had a, 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 a they came a come to Jesus moment, <laughs> and they realized you know what they should be doing. Uh, and in this case, that was the first pope, Saint Peter, mm-hmm. the good guy, bad guy, or bad guy, good guy in this case, because of course he betrayed our Lord three times. Mm-hmm. His first public act of the first and best of popes. And the longest lived until John Paul II came along. Uh, St. Peter was an extraordinary man. He got the ball rolling. Uh, He exercised the power that our Lord gave him. He fed the sheep. He confirmed the brethren. Mm -hmm. And the stories about him are interesting because so Peter, uh, apart from betraying our Lord, three times, his first public act. He uh, allowed himself to accept the fact that he had been wrong and Paul was right at the Council of Jerusalem. And then when the persecution broke out at Rome, that he was heading for the hills, as it were, mm-hmm. he sees our Lord walking toward the city, toward him. And he says, where are you going, Lord? I'm going to Rome, Peter, to be crucified again. So he turned around and went back. And when he was finally arrested, he insisted on being crucified upside down because he did not want to die the way his Savior had done. Hmm. So that was Peter, a, an incredible fellow, a uh, very strong man, as the, the story of the sword and uh, the high priest's uh, servant tells us, very impulsive. Mm-hmm. And... He got the ball rolling. He also chose a successor, Pope St. Linus, the only pope ever to choose a successor, mm-hmm. although doubtless many would have liked to. Okay. Uh, but we start with Peter, because he is the Petrite office, really. Mm-hmm. The see of Peter, the chair of Peter, the patrimony of St. Peter, as they called uh, Rome and Lazio. That's, you, you can never, in thinking about the papacy, you can never escape, or shouldn't try to, the, uh, the figure of St. Peter. So, for the first 311 years of the papacy, uh, being made pope was a deathbed sentence. It was a deathbed. It was a, a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You were going to die. They were all martyrs. Uh, some of them were extraordinarily than most than, than others uh, you know when, when uh, Nero first uh, banned the church he made it illegal for Catholics to exist and that was what judges would say to them in the dock it is illegal for you to exist as individuals I mean they had no right yet the church grew and grew and grew despite persecutions uh, and despite the deaths of many a pope. And finally, 
under uh, Pope Melchiades, uh, Pope St. Melchiades, we had the Peace of Constantine. And from that time onward, until after World War I, a uh, little, well, actually until after Vatican II in some places, the church was connected with Catholic states. Mm -hmm. uh, Constantine tolerated the uh, faith, but Theodosius made Catholicism the religion of the empire, and he made Roman citizenship, which had been a great privilege. Uh, it, so he made it uh, bestowed upon baptism, so that an individual, when he's baptized, becomes not only a member of the Catholic Church, but a citizen of the empire. That was Theodosius the Great that did that. Well, the popes had various problems with emperors, uh, because although both the pope and the emperor agreed, in theory, to, each, uh, to the nature of each other's power and authority, mm -hmm. practice was a whole other kettle of fish. And in the beginning, because the the uh, first the, the Goths and then the Lombards conquered Italy, the Pope became the leading temporal figure in Rome. Uh, under Justinian, the city was recaptured by uh, the Byzantines, but bit by bit, especially after the Muslim threat started in the 600s, uh, they were no longer able to defend the Pope against the Lombards and other enemies. And so, the then Pope called upon the Franks, a German tribe who converted to Catholicism. And in uh, uh, 800, the then Pope made Charlemagne the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm -hmm. Well, things went along fairly well as long as the Holy Roman Empire survived uh, in its first incarnation, because it had several. But after the Carolingians died out, the title became empty. Italy became a battle zone internally. Mm -hmm. And the papacy during the 900s became a plaything. That was the period of the pornocracy when these Roman noble women would make their boyfriends and their sons popes. And that went on for about a century. One of the worst of them, John XII, since you want bad popes. John XII uh, tried to sell the papacy three times and then laughingly pocketed the money and said, well, of course, you can't really sell the papacy. So he was a con man, you see. Uh, and he died in his mistress's arms of the wounds her husband gave her, gave him. So I've always asked myself, did he go to heaven for defending the marriage bond or hell for killing the pope? That's a, that's a tricky one right there. It's a very tricky one. So then that particular episode was solved by a strong pope who suddenly fixed everything. No. Mm -hmm. It was fixed by Otto I, the Holy Roman Emperor. He came down to Rome, wanted to be crowned, looked around at the situation with John Twelfth and other people and said, you know what, we're not doing this. So he chose the pope and settled the situation. But it didn't last. Uh, you had the, the horrible cadaver synod when, uh, I think Formosus. it was Stephen, what's that? Formosus. Formosus. 
who was a, a pretty good fellow, was dug up and tried by his worthless uh, successor. And then, eventually, uh, that that issue was solved, but the um, the Holy Roman Empire once again became a problem. It was called the investiture issue. And there's a big fight between emperors and popes as to who should present the bishops in Germany and elsewhere with the signs of their office. You've got to remember that the bishops were at once feudal lords and so owed allegiance to the emperor mm -hmm. and spiritual lords and so owed allegiance to the pope. This should have been something easily dealt with, but it wasn't. And then uh, all through the, the 1000s and 1100s, this thing went on. You had uh, Gregory the VII, St. Gregory the Seventh, the Holy Roman Emperor, the walk to Canossa, all that stuff. Uh, and again, what, what really hits one is how similar, when you read their various uh, broadsides, how similar the two sides really were. But they couldn't see it. And in the uh, 1100s, you had Frederick Barbarossa and all that, who had got himself an anti-pope. Things did not look very good for the Holy See, I have to say. And they didn't look good for the Holy Roman Empire. They didn't look good for anybody. Uh, the Crusades had been kind of a, a relief where the Pope of the day, Blessed Urban II, called for the Crusade. Dieu le vaut. And off they went. And the united forces of Christendom liberated the Holy Land, freed the Holy Sepulchre, and was a defensive war, I'll have you know, mm -hmm. despite all of the yapping from face sitters against it. But what should happen? But that in the, uh, we had a lot of terrible things happen to society in general, from the Black Death to all sorts of civil wars. And there was a general lessening of faith. In 1215, you had had Innocent III, who was the apex of papal temporal power. Mm -hmm. England and Aragon and other, other countries made themselves feudal dependencies of the Pope. But things went downhill after him pretty quick, uh, which is normal for life, I guess. The Crusades were defeated. Uh, the power of the French king grew as the power of the empire receded. And the the um, Pope Boniface VIII attempted to assert his uh, supremacy over France. And instead, the king of France, Philip the Fair, sent a bunch of men to Rome who basically abused him and he died of the abuse. Mm -hmm. you know, they beat him up and so on. So after him, the next popes lived in Avignon, in Rome, very much under the thumb of the French king. But St. Catherine of Siena, St. Bridget of Sweden, and people like that were constantly appealing to the popes to go back to Rome, which is, was in a very bad way. Finally, one of them did, but they had a conclave, and the French cardinals refused to abide by it. They said they were pressured by the Roman mob. So they went back to Avignon and elected a new pope. So now you had two popes, the great schism. And so it was as the 1300s ground on and into the early 1400s. Finally, they got tired of this. 
So a synod was gathered of cardinals in a town called Pisa. And they deposed both the bishop in Rome and the bishop in Avignon and chose a new one, a third one. Unfortunately, the other two didn't resign. So they had three popes. And in 1412, I guess it was, the Holy Roman Emperor, Sigismund, he got tired of this. He said, no, nah, we're not doing this anymore. And so to, the popes were made to resign, and Martin V was elected. Uh, he was he was elected uh, in 1415. And after him, you had Eugene IV. You had, for a short while, the Union of Florence, the reunion of Byzantium, and the other churches of the East with Rome. It didn't last because of the Turks. But, and here we get really, really exciting. I know excitement is a good thing. Uh, as the following century passed, you had the Borgia Popes, of whom various things have been said. If you read everything that's been written about Alexander VI, you would think it was two different popes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but he was succeeded eventually by a Medici, Leo X, and it was under him that a renegade German friar, Martin Luther, unleashed the Protestant revolt which began the cycle of revolutions that starting with the revolution against the altar then morphed in the 17th and 18th centuries to a revolution against the throne mm -hmm. and in our own day has become a revolution against reality itself mm -hmm. so in the meantime the popes tried a whole variety of things to fight this hideous strength none of which were conspicuously successful uh after Martin, uh, uh, sorry, after, um, gosh, where were we? Leo. Uh, yeah, Leo X died. You had Adrian VI who tried to reform the church, didn't work. Then you had Clement VII, under whom Henry VIII pulled out of the church. Finally, in 1527, uh, Clement being in a fight with the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V's troops sacked Rome. And that was the beginning of the great reform. Because it woke him up. Ah, something's going on out there. Something we got to do with. You know, it's not all about us and what we're doing in weird navel staring. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a real world out there with people going to hell and we need to be concerned. And, of course, around the same time you would have the discoveries in the New World and the East Indies and the Concomitant expansion of the church mm -hmm. out into those new realms. Well, we're getting really exciting now because in the 1550s, you had the beginning of the reform, the Council of Trent. Mm -hmm. But then it had to close. And the cardinals, some of them decided, you know, the, the, the reform has been going really too fast. We need someone who will give us a period of quiet. Boy, did they ever. Julius III. That boy had problems. Because <laughs> that boy liked boys a whole lot. So he uh, picked up this 16-year-old lad in Naples and made him a cardinal. Mm -hmm. And uh, built a villa called the Villa Julia, where he and his uh, uh, 
Inamorato had big parties that were the talk of Rome. Love, love, love alone made Key Edward lose his throne. It was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It was it was very, very bad, actually. But then he died. And even the cardinals who were tired of reform, Julius had left such a stench in their nostrils that they had to vote for a reformer. And so we got Paul IV. And he was succeeded by uh, Paul V and then Pius V, who brought the trend to a conclusion. One of the greatest popes that ever lived, St. Mm-hmm. Pius V. So, what happens? Well, the, the uh, fight against the Turks, of course, culminated in Lepanto in his day. Uh, but that was only in the, at sea. They were still very dominant on land. And it wasn't until 16... 16- 83, that the Turks were finally defeated at the, at the siege of Vienna, mm-hmm. and the long pushback for the Balkans began. At the same time, however, uh, ever since the 1500s, the French had sided with the Turks and the Protestants against the Austrians, and this kind of solidified uh, into two power blocks facing basically Catholic Austria and Protestant Britain Mm -hmm. against Catholic France and Protestant Prussia. And several popes were very unhappy about it and wanted all the Catholic powers to be reconciled. But it didn't happen until 1755 when it was agreed that Louis XVI, to be, he was not yet king, would marry Maria Antonia, Maria Antoinette. And that's why France and Austria fought on the same side against Britain and Prussia in the Seven Years' War. Now, why is that important? Well, because people, diplomacy, have been trying to reconcile France and Austria for over 100 years. Never worked. Never worked. Well, time marches on. The French Revolution. And, well, how do I say this nicely? The French invaded Rome deposed and imprisoned the Pope. Then they had another election uh, for him. They, uh, when, when Pius VI died, the imprisoned Pope, then Napoleon, another Pope was elected, Pius VII. He was elected in exile. And he was the one who would crown Napoleon King of the French. Things looked good until he got into a fight with Napoleon. And then he, was, he too was sent to prison. But he came back in 1815 to Rome, and the Papal States were restored, and Humpty Dumpty was put back together, or so it seemed. Uh, The leading Pope in the early 19th century was a man I liked very much, Gregory the 19th. And until the current Pope, he was the last one who was a member of a religious order. It was Kamal Gregory the 16th, yeah. He was a member of the Kamal Mm -hmm. Well, Gregory did his best to fight off revolution, but he died in 1846, being replaced with another one of my favorites, Blessed Pius IX, who was at first a liberal, but then he saw his prime minister murdered in front of him, and that kind of, you know, got his mind right. So. Well, they say down in the South, he found Jesus. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's what happened. That's just what happened. And he, uh, well, he outlived St. Peter. 
but he also lived to see the loss of the papal states in 1870 when Rome was occupied. So that was dear old uh, dear old Pius IX. He dies in 1878, gets replaced with Leo XIII, who begins the writing of the great social encyclicals, most notably Quadragesimo Otto, but there are others. And then followed Leo XIII. Uh, I'm sorry, Leo XIII uh, was followed in 1903 by St. Pius X. But here's a funny thing. From the earliest days, the emperor and other Catholic monarchs had claimed the right to exclude a cardinal from the conclave, from, from being elected. In other words, they couldn't say who would be pope, but they could say not this cardinal, not this one. Anybody else? Not him. <laughs> so, in the election of 1903, Franz Josef, the last uh, but one emperor of Austria-Hungary, cast the veto against Leo XIII's secretary, Cardinal Rampolo, who was a terrible man. And as a result, St. Pius X was elected instead. So, the first thing that was done, of course, as soon as he was elected, was to outlaw the use of this privilege. But, we owe it to him through the Holy Ghost, without a doubt. But St. Pius X died on the uh, just as World War I was beginning. Mm -hmm. It was replaced with Benedict the Fifteenth, who, frankly, I don't like as much as either his predecessor or his successor. But he wasn't horrible, and he came up with a very good peace plan for Europe, which mm -hmm. was rejected by all of the fighters. He dies in twenty-two and is replaced by Pius the Eleventh who has to face the rise of the great dictators. <laughs> Sad stuff. He dies. And is replaced in 1939 by Venerable Pope Pius Twelfth, righteous among the Gentiles, despite the drivel you'll hear. Uh, he said of himself that he was the last pope who would believe everything in the Catholic faith. But he would believe it. I don't know. That's what he said. He died in 58. That was replaced with St. John the 23rd. John the 23rd is often considered to be very liberal because of calling Vatican II and all that. But there was a lot of real orthodoxy in his work, especially his devotion to the precious blood and things like that. But he was old. He called a council, Vatican II, after which everything was going to be wonderful. Open up the doors on a clear day. Rise and look around you. You can see forever and ever and ever more. It was the age of the flying nut and the singing nut. He'll be here all week. Just tip your waitress. <laughs> yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed. From, from a good well, social distancing form tipper. <laughs> well, yeah. You hear my, you hear my singing, that kind of stuff, and you'll need to socially distance. But uh, no, the thing is that I remember this period. Now we're getting into my personal memories and my own anecdotage. And I was not a fan of St. Paul VI. I lived under him. The one thing he did that was very good was Humanae Vitae, mm -hmm. which 
destroyed him, ruined him, because so many of the bishops refused to accept it. And tacitly, most priests in America, anyway, ignored it. It took that great Catholic theologian, Barack Hussein Obama, to remind Catholics of what their church taught about birth control. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our own people wouldn't do that kind of thing. And, of course, it was also in Nepal VI that abortion came to America and Italy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Presuming he is a saint, I suppose it must have been those ten last years that made him one. When, from being so popular, he became so hated by the people he was trying to impress. He died. And we had the year of three popes, 1978. I was at military college my very first year, New Mexico Military Institute, beautiful Roswell, New Mexico. Paul VI died in the summer. Uh, early on in our military history class, Colonel Pose, the late lamented military history teacher, comes in and he says, Wow, the Pope died. And we all looked at him like, uh, Yeah, that was about a month ago, but you know, thanks for staying with the tour. And he goes, No, 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 no. The new one died. And the, uh, shortly after St. John Paul II was elected, the Harvard Lampoon uh, ran a headline, Pope Dies Yet Again. <laughs> New Pope to take the name John Paul, John Paul I. Uh, John Paul II uh, was an interesting guy. He certainly had star quality. Uh, amongst his many apologies to all and sundry for everything, was an apology to the Catholic faithful for the abuse that they had received of uh, the Eucharist from the part of uh, the hierarchy, uh, which I felt very good about. He was Polish, of course. He broke the Italian chain. Uh, In many ways, he was an amazing fellow. He had a lot to do with the fall of communism and so forth. But he himself admitted that the biggest fault in his reign was not paying enough attention to the uh, appointment of bishops. Mm-hmm. And in truth, one of the differences between himself and his successor was that when you read the successor's writings, you have the feeling he knows what Catholics have been going through. Whereas John Paul II, it was as though he was writing from a nice, faraway place that most of us didn't have access to. So anyway, he died, uh, as all men must, in 2005, having witnessed the liberation of his homeland from communism, which was not a small thing. I mean, people take it for granted now, but I'll tell you, when communism fell, it was a shadow lifted off all our shoulders, except, of course, for those who were really communists. (laughs) Uh, They weren't too happy. But he dies, we get Benedict XVI, who... He was like Reagan for me, you know, far from perfect, but Mm -hmm. so much better than anything that I had experienced. And every time he turned around, it seemed like he was doing something new, you know, pulling something nice out of the old box. Mm -hmm. And I will always be grateful to him for both Samorum Pontificum and Anglicanorum Chapus, Mm -hmm. uh, which, to my mind, were the two great accomplishments of his pontificate. 
Uh, there were others, quite a few others. And one thing about Benedict was that he was actually a truly humble man, and he knew that what the papacy needed was for the Pope of the day to submerge himself in papal symbols. A great lesson, mm -hmm. but one that I think is unheeded by modern people. He, of course, was succeeded in 2013 by Pope Francis, now gloriously reigning. And there you have the story of the popes. We'll see you all later. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, so, now that I've given you an outline, do you have any questions about them? Yes. Um, two no. popes would be considered no. bad. No, no. What? Wrong. All right. Wrong. Next one. Next question. That was that was wrong. Oh, go ahead. There was two posts that could be people. Most people consider bad, but they had apparitions from Our Lady. Yeah, Pope Liberius and John the Twenty Second. Now they were not bad in the way Julius the Third was uh, bad. Right. Uh, Liberius is considered a bad pope because he surrendered to pressure and signed a semi-Arian creed. Uh, but he had the apparition of Our Lady of the Snows, mm -hmm. which is why St. Mary Major, which is the church that was built uh, on that hill, is called the Liberian Basilica after him. And then the other one was John Twenty Second, who lived uh, just prior to the Great Schism. And he taught that the souls of the just will not see God until the final judgment. Mm -hmm. And he imprisoned several people who disagreed with it. But he is also the one to whom Our Lady delivered the 17 privilege. That is, that if one wears the rosary faithfully, not the rosary, wears the uh, scapular uh, uh, faithfully and abides by its rules, none of these things are automatic. There's no bad no magic or, or uh, good luck charm here. Uh -huh. If you do that, then the Saturday after you die, Our Lady will take you out of purgatory. The Sabatine privilege. And that was delivered to John the 22nd. Uh, even John the 12th, who, as I said, I, I consider a real loser, uh, he confirmed the charter of Clooney, uh -huh. the great Benedictine Abbey, and so unwittingly paved the way for a reform of the church. This is what I mean by all of them playing a part. Without the horrible Julius III, we wouldn't have had Paul the uh, Paul the Fourth and Pius the Fourth and Saint Pius the Fifth. Um, it's a bit like Gollum, you know, in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, God rides straight with crooked lions, mm -hmm. and He uses us whether or not we want to be used. Yeah, Bellman writes in his uh, book on politics that not every bad emperor or king is one hundred percent bad or evil. No. And they, and again, they play their part. Mm -hmm. They play their role in the great tapestry, which we can't see. But speaking of your boy John the Twelfth, what was the pornocracy? What what all was going on? This is a family show. <laughs> you know, on YouTube at the bottom it says, "Is this for kids?" I click no. <laughs> no, it, it's basically the pornocracy, as I say. You had a, a family called Theophylact, the women of whom were very dominant ladies. And they 
took control of Rome, the Theophilite family did. The women determined policy, and they made their boyfriends and then their illegitimate, quasi-legitimate sons, popes, one after the other. It was a really disgusting time in the history of the papacy. There's no other way to put it. Uh, although it's interesting, as Vladimir Soloviev points out, that during the pornocracy, Constantinople had no trouble with Roman primacy. It was only after it was over and the popes began, as he puts it, to once again be men of apostolic character, the problems developed. <laughs> so that's the pornocracy. As I say, I don't really want to go into details because it, it really it's bad. is dispiriting. Yeah, it, it, was, it was disgusting. I mean, and at the end of it, don't think it was just the popes. Uh, by the time that century was over, the general run of clerical life in uh, in Italy was terrible. Mm -hmm. If you read Saint uh, Peter Damian's Book of Gomorrah, mm -hmm. it's 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 horrible. It's vomitous, you know. But that's the way it was. There was, you know, love is everywhere. We we have this weird feeling that somehow we invented sin. We didn't. We we're unique in that we praise sin. Then that we make we make sin virtue, that's kind of unique. But there's not a single sin that we know today that hasn't been around since the very beginning. Not one. Very true. You mentioned Alexander the Sixth being. If you read his stuff, you got two different popes. It seems like. What uh, can you expound on that? I think the Angelus he brought in. Uh, Columbus was big with him. Yeah, and he. Well, I mean, I can only recommend different authors. You know, the standard set of papal historians who go after him, uh, Monsignor de Rue and the very strange person himself, Baron Corvo, in his Chronicles of the House of Borgia, paint a very different story. And they, they bring up a ton of evidence for their points. I, I can't tell. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there. <laughs> Contrary to what you'll be told by so many people. <laughs> I, I usually make the joke, I thought you knew Mo Moses, but I won't do that right now. <laughs> well, no, I, I did, actually. I, we called him Little Moshe. <laughs> well, he was just a kid, you know. Yeah. It, was the, your, it was your staff that you lost in a bet that he was using. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, it's sad. Ah, so anyway, what what else you got? You got any more papal questions? Yeah, who would be your top Swiss guards, the nobility, the the black nobility? Uh, Give me your top three popes and why. All right, that's a that's a very good one. My top three popes, I would say Leo the first, who uh, drove off Attila the Hun. Mm -hmm. Um, Gregory the Great, who gave us Saint Gregory the First, who gave us uh, Gregorian chant and lots of other stuff. And I mean, this it's it, this is very very hard to choose actually. But uh, the last, I'll say, Blessed Pius the Ninth, simply because um, he fought as hard as he could 
for the patrimony of the church. He was the one who defined the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that, the papal zouaves, the kids who came from all over Europe and the world to fight for him, idolized him. And you don't get that kind of loyalty from young soldiers if you're some kind of a schmo. You know? No, you just don't. Yeah. You just don't. Because, you know, they, they, I mean, they were happy to follow him to the death. Mm -hmm. And what kind of a personality impresses young people so much? Not just the, the, the idea of him. When they got to Rome and met him, they were still taken with him. You know, Mutatis Mutandis, there was a uh, uh, comedian named Stan Freeberg, mm -hmm. who, despite the name, he was Swedish, had a big, big fro of blonde hair. Well, I mention him because uh, if you were older, you'd have heard of him. But old Stan Freeberg was entertaining at a lunch I was at many years ago at an organ for an organization. Maybe it was 35 years ago, maybe. But his teenage son was with him. The teenager laughed as hard as the rest of us did at his father's jokes. And I thought, you know, if the kid finds his dad funny. <laughs> well, it was so too. If even after having met him and dealt with him and served under him, mm -hmm. these kids still idolize the man. Then, humanly speaking, there was something there worth analyzing. During your research, what was a what was one of the coolest stories or best stories that you found, regardless of what you thought of the Pope, that you saw in during putting the book together? Well, Benedict the Fifteenth's peace uh, peace initiative in World War One was nice, mm -hmm. but again, taking Pius the Ninth, uh, he he had a very good sense of humor. He was a very funny guy. Remember and, the uh, blessing of the Protestants. <laughs> well, yeah, that that too. That was very funny. <laughs> Those who are about to burn. <laughs> yeah, may 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 you uh, may you be blessed by him in whose honor you shall burn. Yeah, <laughs> that, they didn't appreciate that. You know, when they when they initially came, they said "Viva Pio Nono." When they left, they said "Viva Pio No No." <laughs> but. The uh, the uh, on another occasion, because one of the things he would do is go into Rome, incognito, mm -hmm. and then just show up at places. So he showed up at this convent of nuns, and you know the convent was not well maintained. The nuns were kind; of, they were wealthy and kind of sloppy, you know, dirty. So they realized they've got the Pope at their doors, so they're rushing all around to try to clean things up, so he doesn't see what a what a pigsty they were living in. And they very quickly usher him into the parlor to wait. Well, it takes them forever to clean up the rest of the place so he can go on a tour and all. So he does. And afterwards, they said, you know, when he was finished, he was about to leave. He said, oh, most holy father, could you leave a memento of your visit? And he said, oh, I already have. Not to where you'll find it in your parlor, where you left it. It's all right. So after he goes, they run to the parlor. And in the dust of the prie dieu, he had written his name. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. That was good. Yeah. Um, not a Pope per question, not a Pope 
this one, Cardinal Pohl. Oh. He was close to becoming one. Yes. Um, was there a, 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 did you ever find there, was there any corruption in the voting or did he get black based, like, you know, walled up, stopped from it? And who was he anyway? I've heard great things about him. Who, Cardinal Pohl? Yes. Well, Cardinal Pohl was interesting. He was, his mother, the Countess of Salisbury, Mm-hmm. was actually a, uh, a a York, a Plantagenet, with a better claim to the throne than Henry VIII had. And so she didn't last long under Henry VIII. Uh, the, the, uh, he had already gone to the continent. She refused to give up the old religion, and so she was sent to be beheaded at the tower. And she loosened her bonds and started running around. She said, you want my head? You're going to have to race for it. And she ran all around the place. They they had to you know finally catch her and chop her head off, but she wouldn't sit still. <laughs> that was the Countess of Salisbury. She'd always been that way, mm-hmm. you know. She just didn't take off. She was well, she was a daughter of queen of, of kings, you know. She uh, you you want some fun? All right, fine. We'll get some fun. So he uh, was appointed by Mary Queen uh, by not Mary Queen of Scots by Queen Mary Tudor. Elizabeth's older sister, uh, Henry VIII's older daughter, to basically help bring England back to uh, to Rome, to Catholicism. Now, unfortunately, the Pope under whom Mary was doing this was the self-same Julius III. So it was unfortunate. Um and and as you can imagine, Cardinal Pohl didn't do very well under uh, under Julius III's uh, care. He wasn't just a, uh, a, a lad lover, by the way. Mm-hmm. He gave a diocese to the Lutherans. Don't ask me why, mm-hmm. but he, he confirmed a bishop who we knew was Lutheran. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow indeed. So, so what you're trying it, to say is those things you see today happened before the 1960s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if we live long enough, they'll happen again at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you read St. Peter Damien's Book of Gomorrah, you could be going through the child abuse files. Mm-hmm. Well, the teenager abuse files. Mm-hmm. Uh Nothing new under the sun. It's just that sometimes the worse, sometimes are better. That's all. This is not one of the best of times. <laughs> I I didn't want to break the news to you, and I you're you're, you're probably going to go to bed without any supper. You know, <laughs> fling yourself on your bed in tears. Tell your wife, oh, you have no idea what he said. I've ruined my week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's all over. Uh, your wife will be. Huh, huh, huh. Okay, but no, seriously, I um, uh, Paul uh, did not really have what you would call a constituency at Rome because he was an exiled cardinal, mm-hmm. and I think that was the biggest reason. If Mary had succeeded, if she'd lived longer, if she'd had a daughter, if she had married Queen of Scots as her heir and brought her down, anything like that. In other words, if the Marian settlement had lasted, then Paul might very well have become the second English Pope. But uh, one of the interesting things, when people ask uh, how deep and how good the Marian uh, 
restoration was? Well, I'll tell you. All but one of the bishops of Henry VIII accepted the oath of supremacy. Mm-hmm. All but St. John Fisher. Under Mary's bishops, when she died and Elizabeth ex- assumed the throne as a Catholic and then switched, um, all of Mary's bishops except one refused to accept Elizabeth's new order. Hmm. So it had reversed. Mm-hmm. And Cardinal Pole was the head of that hierarchy. So that by itself, also the kind of mother he had, should tell you what sort of a man Cardinal Pole was. Yeah, uh, our bud Ryan, he translated the uh, speech that he found in Italian that Pole did at the uh, opening of the uh, Council of Trent. And he lambasted the bishops after they did the uh, Veni Creator. He goes, we dare call upon the Holy Ghost. And you're reading it going, well, they could have said that today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, things don't change. I mean, as I say, there's better and there's worse, but there's never perfect. That was the main reason I wanted to do this, because I remember being at last year, or, uh, eh, yeah, it was about last year, at a group come up to me all worried about the papacy, and I asked them, you ever heard about the uh, cadaver trial, the synod, the cadaver synod? No. Oh. You ever heard of the pornocracy? No. Have you ever heard of this? No. They had no recollection of anything before 1990, basically. Well, see, they're, they're, all they know is John Paul the Great and Benedict the Wise. And if they're my age, they know Pius the Twelfth. But they don't know, for instance, about Pius the Eleventh uh, unwittingly betraying the Cristeros. Yeah. You know, they don't know about Pius the Twelfth uh, basically selling the Australian Catholic Social Movement down the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have never read. Pius XII's encyclicals made it out to a day in Homani Generis, one of the last doctrinal of the first liturgical. And yet, at the same time, it was Pius XII who put Bonini in charge mm-hmm. and began the long toboggan ride, mm-hmm. which we're now. I, I could also say, you know, John XXIII, whom I like for a lot of reasons, both he and Pius XII did a number of liturgical changes, which I'm not really great great about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of uh, in the case of Pius XII, it was not simply the the rites of Holy Week, but also Pentecost and a number of other days that mm-hmm. depended on it. And in the case of uh, in the case of John XXIII. Uh, he had a very unfortunate habit of quote-unquote simplifying the calendar by getting rid of quote-unquote redundant feasts. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, for instance, was the Feast of St. John before the Latin Gate. Mm-hmm. Well, they got rid of that because, well, he's already, you know, he's already got his day in December. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is the Feast of the Apparition of St. Michael. Mm-hmm. Well, we've already got Michaelmas. May 3rd was the Feast of the Finding of the Holy Cross. Well, in September, we've got the uh, Triumph of the Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. August 1st was St. Peter in Chains. Well, we've already got Saints Peter and Paul. It, it was like that. Mm-hmm. So, having, having said all of that, uh, no. It's all coming back slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like to say is the great philosopher LL Cool J said, "Don't call it a comeback." <laughs> uh, well, it's sneaky. It's it's a return. Yeah. yeah. Uh, final one. What would you say the best thing any pope ever did? Saint Peter. Bless you, buddy. I would say St. Peter accepting our Lord's commission. Charles, uh, th appreciate your time, man, and then we'll talk to you later. <laughs> you bet. And remember, North Carolina, Rise a up. valley of humility between two mountains of conceit. <laughs> but I'm a South Carolina guy at heart. Born in Florida, so technically I'm Cuban. <laughs> uh, well, you blew all that out of the water. <laughs> No, All right, my, fine. my relatives are in Cincinnati, so uh, when we'd go up there, they'd call me uh, you know, Redneck Hick, and I, we'd come down here, everybody calls us a damn Yankee, so we're not wanted anywhere, so I just say I'm Cuban to people. Well, people you know, that, that, that'll do. I mean, my, my brother Andre, you know, he, he always uh, says the trick is to, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave you with this family joke. You know, it, it shows the basic way that the Coulomb men have dealt with the world for generations. Uh, I'm going to say I and me, but it could be my brother, it could be any of my nephews, my late father or grandfather, any of us. Let's pretend that you and I went to mass together. Mm -hmm. No, once upon a time, there was a thing called mass in churches that were open. You could go in and you could do this. I know, I know it's forgotten now, but a long, this is what it was. Ago. Let's play the Star Wars opening. <laughs> a long, long time ago in a, on a planet far, far away, far from this one. So you and I go to Mass, right? And the Mass finishes. You go out. I stay in making my Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I come out and I see you in the churchyard. And I say, oh, Steve, you had something more important to do than to give thanks to the God who made you. Well, I'm sure I understand that. I hope he does. So you're like, right, we're the, the next Sunday. You wait. And then I go out. And then you come out. And I turn to you and say, Oh, Steve, you had to show us all how terribly holy you are. I'm sure we're all very impressed. So finally, you're like, you know, you're worthless. The third Sunday, our feet go out that door at precisely the same moment. So, I turn to you and say, oh, Steve, not very comfortable with our own spiritual choices, are we? <laughs> you see, that's that's the Coulomb way. You know, as my brother says, uh, so are you going to the schismatic Tridentine Mass or the heretical Novus Ordo? <laughs> so to, to, uh, put it, to put it into uh, more geographical terms, uh, are you a worthless, uh, treasonous, secesh uh, man from the south, or are you a tyrannical oppressor of free states from the north? Which is it? I was a minute ago. I was about to flash. Was it the East Side thing? I'm Byzantine. <laughs> well, see the, the, again. You know, I, I schismatic Easterner, quasi schismatic Easterner, or quasi heretical Latin. Which is it? You know, the the trick is always heads I win, tails you lose. Tails you lose, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> and then if if being given this kind of abuse, the person says, "But you, you, oh, shifting the focus, 
very smooth. I'm sure we all appreciate your craftiness. <laughs> but I, I, uh, no! You have to be tough with the world, ladies and gentlemen, because God knows the world's going to be tough with you. <laughs> Amen to that. Charles, I appreciate it, man. God bless all, man. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.